Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ricky, and it's so great to, to see you here this morning. I'm very excited about this morning. We're going to be doing things a little bit different. I've got some people who are going to help me encourage you this morning. We're doing a few interviews as we wrap up the Advantage Holy Spirit series. Can I just see, have, have you felt encouraged through the series? Do you feel like you've grown? Um, I know for myself personally, I've had an incredible time. And um, I've learned so much, and I really feel like God has just opened our understanding to His Spirit, who reveals Jesus, and who helps us grow in our relationship with the Heavenly Father. And there's no Christian life without the Holy Spirit. There's an abundant life of adventure to those who embrace His awesome fellowship. And last week, Pete preached and he read from Romans 12, verse 1 to 2. And I want to read it again from the message uh, translation. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, and your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And this is exactly what we're going to do today. I'm going to be interviewing a few ordinary people who have done some extraordinary things. And uh, I, wanna wel- I want to ask you to welcome them and uh, please open your hearts to hear what they have to say. They're gonna be sharing their stories and I think we're gonna have some fun this morning. So I'm gonna ask Madeleine if she can come and join me. Won't you welcome Madeleine? We got everyone to test the seats before we sat because if you don't know these seats, <laughs> they spin and they drop. So the, the title of my message this morning is The Holy Spirit Empowers Us for Mission. And if you ask yourself the question, what is the mission that we've been called to? Well, we, scripture that comes to mind is Matthew 28, 19, where Jesus says, go and make disciples. In Acts 1, verse 8, Uh, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses. And we understand that. But I want to draw our attention also to Matthew 22, where Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that scripture for me is the motive for our mission. Why do we do what we do? And we, we, we're not a community of believers that want to do stuff for God. It's first in our being and our understanding of who the Heavenly Father is, which prompts us and brings us, gives us that conviction to go and to share the love of God. So I've got, I've used the letter F. Pierre would be very proud of me. And I've got six talking points this morning. Faith, family, fellow man, finance, fitness, and friends. And um, this for me is is a well-balanced part of our life. All of our lives touch on these areas, and this is our mission. We are called to live our lives, and I'm trusting that we will be encouraged through all of this. So, Madeleine, uh, Mish and I have known Madeleine right back from varsity days. She was a leader at Every Nation Stellenbosch, and um, so we've had the privilege of knowing her for many years. Um, Madeleine, won't you just tell everyone where did you study, what did you study, and what are you currently doing? Okay, um, I studied at the Stellenbosch University. I studied uh, applied maths and computer science, but I always did want to teach, so I did a teaching diploma as well. And um, at the beginning of this year, I started teaching again full-time, so I'm a mathematics high school teacher at Paravale. Any PV students out there? I have extra appreciation for Madeleine because she helps my son with extra maths, or helped. Unfortunately, she's My favorite stupid. student. <laughs> Great. Um, Madeleine, after university, you went overseas and you spent some time in Abu Dhabi. What made you go there? 
Um, yeah, I, I was uh, in Stellenbosch for quite a few years, and I was very involved in the Every Nation Church there, and um, I was privileged enough to be discipled by people like Mish and Rick and Philip, and um, at one stage, I just suddenly felt the Lord tell me that it's time to go, to go out and go and apply the things that we've been discipled to do. Now, at that stage, I had no idea what that looked like or where he wanted me to go. Um, but I guess that's how he works. And um, it was in the middle of a year, and I was doing my working at the university and busy doing my master's. Um, so I didn't think the timing was great. Um, um, I was in the middle of doing my master's. But uh, that's, I, be I believed that God spoke to me, and um, so I tried to listen. Um, so I, d I had no idea where to go, but I've always had a heart for Africa, so I just started looking for teaching jobs in Africa. And in that search, um, a few teaching jobs in the Emirates jumped out at me, and specifically one in Abu Dhabi. But I have to tell you, at this stage, I've never even heard of a place called Abu Dhabi. That, that was before the Emirates and Etihad Airlines became so well-known and so on. But um, I applied for the specific job in Abu Dhabi, and I got the job. And around the same time, we had a missions um, Sunday, Sunday at our church where they read a list of all the places that every nation was hoping to do a church plant in the next few years. And on that list was Abu Dhabi. And that was just confirmation for me that that was where I had to go. So um, I got the job, um, and... I thought I would go and I would go and be part of this church plant and just do whatever I could help with, pack out chairs or play in the band. Uh, that would take a miracle, but <laughs> I thought, yes. Um, but it didn't quite work that way. But so I thought God spoke to me. I packed my, packed my bags and I went. Awesome. So I've got Madeleine to speak on faith, just in, uh, concerning her relationship with God, but also just specifically uh, what Madeleine's going to share now and how she had the opportunity to go and make disciples, so that first little part of the mission that we spoke about. So Madeleine, you were ready to go, and um, I'm sure you had some small idea as to what you expected to happen, but then something amazing happened. Won't you just share with us what you experienced and what happened over those next couple of years? Okay, so um, for about the first six months when I was there, I was just going about living my life, trying to adapt to this new, very different country and very different culture. And um, I tried to go to the Dubai church every now and again, but it was difficult at that stage for a woman using public transport on her own, and it was far away and things like that. It's very different now. Um, but I just realized one day that it's six months later now, and nothing, nothing has happened. We were no closer to a church plant than before. And I remember specifically in my quiet time asking God that one day, Lord, what can I do? And I think that was a very significant moment. I didn't get an answer. I didn't have a plan. But it just happened that a week later, I started with a life group at, in my flat. Um, we were about six girls, um, some of the ladies that I worked with, some that I played netball with. And some of them even approached me and asked me if they could come and join. And that, that went very well. And then a few weeks later, I um, started with a home group in my flat on a Sunday or actually on a Friday in the Emirates. And um, we met, um, and we just prayed together, did a bit of praise and worship, read word, encouraged each other, prayed for each other, and that's, that's all we did. Um, and we were, we were different nations in that group. We were a Canadian, American, I think two South Africans, two Filipinos, two Indians. Um, so that was fantastic, and I just realized then what a fantastic base the Emirates was to disciple from, because people come from their various nations, they come and work there, and then they go back to their nation. And um, that's, yeah, that's how we started. Won't you speak us through these photos, Madeleine? That photo there, that's the, the first service in Abu Dhabi. Okay. How did you get to that point? This was the first... 
I can't remember how much later that was, but that was our first service that we had in a rented venue, our first real service. Yes, it just, it just exploded from there. Um, in this photo, I was actually also privileged to have my mom and my sister there. They came to visit, and um, Pastor Ruel from the, the Dubai senior pastor, he led the service, and um, that was just the beginning of great things. That's, um, uh, that's the anniversary service in 2008. Yes, that, that was, a, a, I think, a couple of years later or so. That's, um, on the left there is Pastor Ray Corpus. He, he was the pastor that came out from the Philippines to, to take over the church. And um, by then the church have grown immensely. Um, yeah. So, Madeleine, once you uh, started your small group, did you get assistance from the Dubai church? Yes, uh, we did. Actually, um, um, we did get uh, some assistance. Uh, sometimes some of the Dubai pastors would come out and come and help and come and lead on, on Sundays. Um, and I think we, we soon realized that we needed a, another type of group where we could invite people regardless of whether they've been saved or not. So we started an outreach group. And that just took off. People invited um, unsaved people, and they just came to the Lord, and everyone just got discipled. And as they got saved, they, they went and told their families and friends, and if they got saved, they just started discipling them themselves. It was just, yeah. So yeah, we're going to just share the evidence of how the Holy Spirit has worked through just Madeleine being faithful with the small in what she did there. That's Madeleine and Michelle with a group of people at the beginning of this year. They were, uh, Michelle and Madeleine had the privilege of going to attend the 10-year celebration service of Abu Dhabi. There's some more friends, and that's the service of celebration. So, um, don't you think that's amazing? Madeleine, did you ever think that you would see that after, when you started your small group? No, I had no idea, no. And I, I just think it's such an incredible story of just being faithful in the little, and God can do immeasurably more than you can ever think or imagine. And Madeleine, we just honor you for your faithfulness and just your steadfastness and your ability to just advance the, the kingdom of God. And folks, what Madeleine did... Anybody of us can do. Why don't you give Madeleine a hand? Okay, Eugene and Madeleine. They will be representing the family. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> You're not well balanced, Eugene. Yeah. <laughs> right. Guys, thank you for, for being here. Uh, why don't you just introduce yourselves to everyone. For those of you who don't know you, tell us a bit about your family. I have a nice family photo. Uh, if you can put that up. And how long have you been married? And tell us about your family. Uh, I've known Eugene for 26 years. He ignored me for 10, so we've been married for <laughs> over 15 years. <laughs> um, we have three children. One is 11 and a half, and two of them are eight and a half. And our families live far away. My parents are in the Lowfeld in White River. Uh, that's actually where I met Eugene, where he ignored me. Um, and Eugene's, Eugene's family live in the rest outside Oatswing. I'm not going to ask how it eventually came all together, <laughs> because we've only got seven minutes each per couple. Um, I've asked Eugene and Mala just to share how they've experienced the Holy Spirit in their family, in their marriage, and uh, as parents. And um, I've been reading a book uh, throughout the series by John Bevere called The Holy Spirit, An Introduction. And in one of the chapters, he speaks about the three levels of relationship. He says there's the, the physical uh, part of a relationship, there's the soul, 
part and then the spirit. The physical is in any uh, a couple's relationship, there needs to be that attraction. And there's the, the physical side of the relationship. There's the soul level, which is the personality. We, we get connected with one another because we, we like each other, hopefully. And, um, and there's a, a personality connection. But one which possibly many people don't ever experience is the spiritual level of relationship. And we read this even in the Bible uh, between David and Jonathan, where it talks about the spiritual connection that they had, which God connected them to in, in an incredible way. So um, my question to Eugene is, Eugene, in your guys' relationship, how have you experienced the Holy Spirit and how does it make things better for you? Thanks, Rick. Yes, um, I, just to give you background, uh, I met Marla at youth. We were at school together. And so our church's youth met on a Friday night. And I thought, like, this is real. Marla's a real tough cookie, so I was not much really going to get close to her. So I thought the only way I could do this was maybe on a spiritual level, you know, because if I connect with her spiritually, she might relate to me or be friendly to me, you know. She wouldn't just push me off. So I had to be very clever. So you guys, youth, you know, it starts with a spiritual thing. So, so but, but, you know, in, in, I'm joking about it, but actually it's true. That's kind of where it started. It started youth. And, and from the beginning of a relationship, we had a spiritual connection. And just we more or less studied in Pretoria. I was here in the Navy for a few years. And we, because we knew each other from school and from youth and things like that, we always just maintained contact. And um, when I was down here and she was up there, we, I wasn't very computer literate. <clears throat> So we'd write letters to each other physically. And so although we initially connected on a spiritual level and on a friendship level, we used to connect through letters and we could share heart. And because we are both Christians, that foundation was laid. And that foundation was laid for many years because of writing letters to each other. And, you know, stamps, letter, envelope, some of those, you know, those things still exist. <laughs> So, yeah, so in terms of our spiritual, so our, the way we approach our marriage and our relationship is from that spiritual level. It's just always been there. What I've noticed is sometimes when you're very busy, the physical defaults, especially because you, what you see is what you do. So when you approach any issue or challenge or something like that and you are too busy, then you default at what you see in front of you when you approach or we have to make decisions. And you don't have the time always to first think about this thing on a soul or spiritual level. And we've just realized the importance of making enough time to not just to connect spiritually, but to connect with God because through the busyness of life, if you don't have that time, you can't connect. And we've just really encouraged each other a lot to make sure that we can still connect on that level. Fantastic. And, and unfortunately, if we look at the world's order of uh, relationship progression, it starts with the physical first and then often doesn't even get to the soul or, or spiritual. But I know for Michelle and I also, when we are connecting on a spiritual level, even speaking about God's word and, and encouraging one another, there's a deeper relationship that comes. Madla, I'm going to ask you a question concerning parenting, and I, I have got a photo, which I got from Facebook, so it is public uh, property. So, that's little Zander, and I'm not going to read it in Afrikaans, but I'm going to just tell you what it says, uh, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but apparently, Eudina Mala said, guys, it's time for bed. They had to go switch lights off, and um, so Xander went to bed. He put a note on his head with press stick, <laughs> asking Eugene to please wake him up a bit earlier because he wanted to read his Bible with his dad. So I'm guessing, Eugene, when you were going to go give him a kiss, good night, you were going to see the notes. And yeah, we had such a laugh. We, we got to bed actually an hour later because we were just laughing at Xander. He's very creative, I have to say. It was, 
It was a little bit of a rebellion before, I think, because he just wanted to say one more thing, and we were saying, no more talking, time for bed, so he actually just said it not Fantastic. <laughs> so he did actually have the last say. I'm just happy he used a piece of paper and he didn't write with cokey on his forehead. So, Mala, you are a qualified evergreen parenting consultant. I am. And it really is something that you hold dear to your heart. So, from a knowledge uh, side of things, you've got a lot uh, with regards to parenting. But I wanted to ask you the question, if you had to take God out of your life today and remove the Holy Spirit, how would that impact your parenting? Yeah. Yeah, you asked me that question and I had two days to think about it and I still don't know how people would do it without God. I really don't. But if I have to say something, I would say that it's without God, your perspective is very different. You think about what your child should eat and what time they should go to bed and how they should behave and what clothes they should wear and all of those things more. Um, but with God and the Holy Spirit, we have an eternity perspective. Um, we know that, yes, these things are very important because we are training a disciple of Jesus. That's your main job as a parent. Um, and to do that, you have to teach them to behave themselves because Jesus has a high standard of moral character. Um, but we are training a child's character so that that character would be someone that can go generation after gen generation teaching people um, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And without God, I don't know that you have that perspective in the first place, and you would never be able to do that. Um, but even with knowledge base, if I can just expand a bit, um, I'm not a natural mom, I have to say. Um, it's been one of the most challenging, fulfilling things that I have been um, allowed to do. Um, and without the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I really wouldn't, um, because I would focus on the sit down, be quiet, you know, all of those stuff. Yeah. Thank you. And if you guys don't know Eugene and Manla will, I'd encourage you to just hang around them a bit. And the, the, the evidence for me is, is in your children. You guys have incredible, incredible kids. And also we honor you for just how you display God through your family. Why don't, why don't you give them a hand? Dennis. Good morning, Dennis. Morning, Rick. <laughs> I've asked Dennis to represent the category of fellow man. And what I mean by that is just a love for people beyond your family and beyond your close friends, just life in general and human beings. And um, I've known Dennis for a good couple of years, and I don't think I've ever seen Dennis have a bad day. And he's always got joy in his heart, so it was a great privilege for me to ask him to, to share. But I thought, Dennis, I thought I'd ask Dennis a few questions just to help establish where he is at in uh, this part of his life. So, Dennis, how many children do you have? Um, two. Two children. <laughs> <laughs> how many grandkids? Uh, three. Three grandsons. Three, three grandsons. Okay. Dennis, I hope you don't mind. I went onto Lindy's Facebook and I found a picture. <laughs> is, is Lisa, is that Lisa? Lisa's? I hope you did. I forgot to ask Lisa if she was okay if I put that picture. But I think you were tagged in the photo, so it's fine. Um, so... Dennis is, and I did ask him if I wouldn't mind uh, mentioning his age, but he is a, a very young 77 years old. And five days. And five days. <laughs> but what I love about Dennis is that he just doesn't stop living his life. And I don't think he's ever retired. Um, Dennis, just would you mind telling everyone just some of the professions that you've been involved with? Well, I started off as a teacher and eventually worked my way up to headmaster. Um, I took the early package when the Model C schools uh, started up 
And um, from there, I went into uh, estate management, worked for Nedcor in their, one of their biggest estates out in Krugersdorp. From there, we did mission work into Zimbabwe. And again, I became headmaster of a school in Zimbabwe. And finally, I became the pastor of the church. I must explain, we went to Zimbabwe to support the church. And uh, we eventually landed up being the lead elders. And finally now, that's the next question, sorry Rick. Uh, I'm the facilities manager at Helderberg Hospice, which means I do everything except nursing. <laughs> I think when I first, first met Dennis, he was a foreman of a, of a building project here in Somerset West. And, um, you know, Dennis just absolutely love the energy you have for life and uh, specifically people. But Dennis, my next question is, do you feel that God has been able to use you in all the different seasons of your life despite the job title that you've had? My answer there is definite yes. But in saying yes, my professions that I've had have made it so much easier to do God's work. As a teacher and then eventually headmaster, I had an incredible platform to reach out to youngsters and staff. And many children have come to the Lord. Many of the staff came to the Lord. That was a, a tremendous platform there. While I was headmaster at the school, the Department of Education wanted me to increase or to improve my qualifications. So I took a two-year part-time course. So I was, had two young children at home. I was headmaster and I was studying and spending every school holiday in Pretoria doing practical. The course I chose was a simple, I thought, course. I was doing Technica Civil and Technica Mechanica. So when this course was over, I felt that God had led me to do that because I took early retirement from the education department and I went into estate management and I used every single thing I learned at that college. After 10 years, we went up to Zimbabwe and once again, I had to use every, well, all of those things that I learned. I mean, the little village of Mvurui had the facilities which very often didn't work, so you had to improvise. And so it went on where God has used us, uh, used Lindy and I, by simply putting us through a course. Awesome. And then Dennis, one last question. Um, I've, I've often thought of just the time you guys had in Zimbabwe, and it was exciting at times and also quite challenging, but was there a moment when you experienced the Holy Spirit work in and through your life in a, in a powerful way that you just comes to mind? Um, I've always said that God will use what you have in your hand. And I believe that's exactly what God did there. And I'm now having a memory technical recession. <laughs> so I'm going to take my notes out. <laughs> Got it. Are those crib notes? Yes. Okay, all right. <laughs> there was a time when we were in Zim where there was no food. Mm. And when I mean no food, I mean no food. The shops were empty. The only things they could possibly have sold would have been the, the, the shop furniture. There was nothing. There was no fuel. There was gallons of beer. But being a pastor in Zimbabwe, that's out. Uh, the people staple diet there, the Shona's diet, is maize meal. We know it as Millie Meal. And 
we were running low on stock. Very often people from different churches, such as Greg and Lisa sitting there, they would come up to Zim with a trailer full of Mealy Meal and other goodies for us. But that was running low. There was a chappie in our church by the name of Kumbi. He owned a shop. And he phoned up Lindy and he said, Lindy, get a list of people and their ID numbers of whom you serve. Because you see, the church served widows and orphans and supported the poor. There were 17 in total at that time. So we sent that list to Kumbi. Then we got a message, come to our shop, I have maize meal. And we shot over to his shop to find it absolutely empty. Around the corner came a cavalcade, police vehicles and a truck. Now when you see that happening, you make a quick disappearing act. Uh, but we realized there's something on the go, so we waited. They arrived. The price control police came out of the vehicle and they said, are you Pastor so-and-so? I said, yes. He said, where's your list? Gave it to him. And he said to the men with him, load. And they took out maize meal from their truck and they loaded it into our van until springs were creaking. And we had sufficient food to feed those people that we had on the list for quite a long time. That is truly a miracle of God. Awesome. Never in the history of Zimbabwe has that happened. Sure. If there's time for another miracle. Please. <laughs> <laughs> During that time, um, there was very little Zesa. Zesa is the Zimbabwe electrical, electricity, uh, Z-E-S-A, Supply authority, there's it. I finally got it right. We don't call it electricity in Zim, we say it's Zesa. Now, Zesa was very scarce. It went on and off and on and off. Uh, there was not sufficient coal to run the system. So we used to cook on gas. We had a tiny little two-stove gas plate and a four-kilogram bottle of gas. Well, at home at the moment, we use a nine kilogram every three weeks with a heater. But that four kilogram gas went on for days and weeks and months and years. Until a message came through, go to Harare, gas has arrived. And we shot through to Harare and filled our bottles. And we got home, that little four kilogram was empty. Oh, wow. Awesome. Dennis, thank you for, for sharing, and we both we love both you and, and Lindy and just your heart for, for our fellow man and, and the work that you're doing. And uh, we pray that God will strengthen you every day that you guys are doing what you do. Why don't you give Dennis a hand? Thanks, Richard. Right, Carl. Carl is going to be speaking about finance. This morning. <laughs> morning, everyone. Right, so Carl is married with two kids, and he is a businessman in our area. Carl has brought much joy to most families here. How, who's received joy from Carl? <laughs> and uh, I've got a little slide there. That's why we're cheering. <laughs> Carl, won't you let us? Won't you tell us what you're currently doing and the work that you do? Um, so yes, we've got the water slide and we've got another one at Route 44 and I consult building parks uh, wherever anybody would like a park. So that's about... Right, yes. so Carl's got an incredible passion for, for fun parks and water parks, etc. And um, with the, the, this uh, talking point on finance, it's not, not just money, but also I was called just to share a little bit about... Um, his life as a businessman and how he has relied on the Holy Spirit in that sense. But, Carl, my, my one question is, um, what, what work has God done in your heart with regarding to finance specifically? 
Finance is a big thing, as we all know, in business, and it's a, a challenging department. You know, God gives you the small to start with, and then he starts to grow you, and it's stewardship, really, over a time period. And I was thinking, you know, what am I going to tell you, what stories? And um, it actually led me back to something quite a long time back, uh, and we were part of the church and um, there was an India mission happening. And we had 9,000 rand in our bank, I think eight or 9,000 rand in our bank account. That's all we had. I had no work. I remember I'd lost everything. And so it was a restart. The only thing we had was the water slide. And I had unfortunately given somebody else the job. And so I couldn't retake it back. So we were sitting in a position with where are we gonna go from here? And it's an interesting story because as we gave that money to the India mission, it was the first India mission, and um, God supplied us back with double that. Out of that, I then gave half of that to a friend of mine who was desperate need for a, he had a, a home that was about to be taken. So we gave that. I ended up going into business with him, which then multiplied into me being able to put a fair bit of money away. Uh, we were doing construction at the time. Uh, then allowed me to go back into the water slide, but there wasn't enough money in the water slide. And uh, we started that journey of, uh, you know, at the basics. And, um, you know, God was so faithful. You know, we need to cover everybody and, and family. And so the first year he doubled the turnover what it had done the year before. Uh, as the, that money that I had, I could only draw a certain amount of salary. You know, the money that we had earned from the construction, as that ran out over three years, you know, to compensate, then the slide got to a place where it could actually afford to do that. And then it started with journeys of others that have joined us, like Markham, et cetera, et cetera. And really what an amazing team I got, because I can just be honest with you, it's, uh, it's really... It's God, and it's the team, you know. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Carl is one of the most generous people that I know, and I'm sure for those of you who have been around him, and, and if he's part of your life, you can confirm that. And um, uh, in, in uh, this book that I've been reading with John Bevere, he also speaks about that word fellowship in 2 Corinthians 13, when Paul is addressing uh, the church in Corinth, and he ends the letter by saying, may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. And then he talks a little bit about that word fellowship, and one of the words that describes the original word is partnership. And we have a partnership with the Holy Spirit. He is, and he should be, the senior partner in this partnership, and being business talk here um, I wanted to ask Carl also, Carl, how you've got business partners and they play a role in your life and in your work, but how does the Holy Spirit play that partner role for you? Sure, I wouldn't want to move without the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Um, honestly, you know, business is a massive challenge. I'm not going to say it's anything less, um, you know, on a daily basis and uh, you really need his guidance, you know. Uh, what are we going to invest? What are we going to do? Or do we take this project? Do we do what we're meant to do? Um, and it's interesting because just even recently, you know, you get very busy as businessmen, and that's the problem. We kind of start to focus a lot more on the business, but at the end of the day, we need to just be focusing on God and, and asking the Holy Spirit to write. And he's just kind of called me back home in the sense of, you know, being part of the body a lot more. And really, one of the key things is for being in, in business is it's not for you. It's for the bride of Christ. It's for the kingdom. And so when your focus becomes so much more on you, you know, you kind of start to lose track of where you're meant to be going. And I'll be honest, that's kind of what's happened in my last year. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit has just laid on my heart specific things so far as even to connect with some people within the church that I needed to have discussions with and 
and start restarting journeys, etc. And just as that focus happens, he starts to take care of your business. That's how it works, really, because it's not really your business. You think it is, but it's not. And it's just uh, awesome to see, once again, the people that are with you working as well, just them coming to the Lord, um, them taking hold of what you had purposed in your heart in a business, and them actually starting to do it within the, the scope of that business. In other words, we've always had a heart for people. So being able to pray with people on site and, and encouraging people, and it's amazing to watch. I mean, I honestly just say, you know, um, yeah, what can I say? Just, well, thank you, Lord. I can't say anything else. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. And yeah. I know that some of you sitting here have actually been baptized in, in Carl's water slide water. Andre, I'm thinking of you. Anybody else who's been <laughs> baptized in in uh, Carl's water, but Carl, thank you, and uh, Carl has a, a prayer group on Friday mornings. Friday mornings. Friday yeah. mornings, a group of businessmen, they get together, they pray at the slides in season, and if you'd love to join them, I know he would love to have you guys around. Great, thank you. Why don't you give Carl a hand? Brett, I thought you would be running up here. We didn't have to call you. Okay, folks, this is Brett Wood, for those of you who don't know. Brett actually went to school here at Beaumont, so he's been in this hall for most of his life. (laughs) Is your name up anywhere, Brett? No, I didn't make it. (laughs) My brother and sister, though, yeah. Okay. Okay, Brett, won't you tell everyone what you're currently doing and what keeps you busy? Um, I'm a swimming coach. I work for the University of Stellenbosch. It's um, pretty much what I, what I do, actually. I work with little people all the way to big people. Okay. So the little guys stroke coaching up to the elite, elite performance. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. So that's, that's uh, Brett in his... Uh, when he's not coaching... Uh, uh, swimming and sport he's in his he's coaching his own body and giving it a run but we can classify Brett as an ultra endurance athlete is that the correct terminology (laughs) I don't don't know (laughs) (laughs) I think that anybody who runs a hundred mile race in the desert if you could show the next there we go okay um is an ultra-endurance athlete, and anybody who runs in miles and not kilometers. <laughs> so, Pete Miller showed me the chat yesterday. Um, Pete and I were helping Neil Cox move his Wendy house uh, from one place to another in his backyard, but Pete was just saying, this is the chat on Brett's running group they don't go for a 5K run. They run over the mountain. And that was the plan yesterday. But um, Brett is also, as mentioned, an athlete. He loves running. And um, the category that I've asked him to speak on is fitness. And the, the initial thought that comes to mind is that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I don't necessarily want to focus on, on that um, but Brett's going to share a little bit uh, later on just his thoughts around that. But Brett, why don't you just share with uh, some of the folk here a little bit into your world. What is one of the craziest races that you've done? Runs, runs and swim. Um, I think some, some events can be long but not, uh, can be very different. I think the one event that, I've, uh, that I did... Uh, it's called the Sky Run. Um, it starts in Lady Grey uh, at the bottom of the Drakensberg. It's not, it's not so much that it's a long race, but that particular day, was uh, the weather was very extreme. Um, and so, I, I mean, like visibility was a few meters with gale force winds and driving rain. And, and eventually they called the race off. Um, but, I, I mean, that for me, 
um, was probably the scariest experience I had in a race. I've done races that are much longer, races that lasted 30 hours, but that race was um, the closest I felt to dying while doing a race. Um, I remember we arrived at the, the, the big checkpoint about 60 k's in. Um, I was running with a friend who's actually at the back, I see him there. And like, I just remember he burst into tears when he saw his kids because he was like, holy smoke, we freaking almost died, you know. <laughs> um, it was, uh, I mean, like, I we climbed over a small gate because you have to climb over a lot of cattle fences almost. And I remember they went over like, I mean, seconds. We, I was climbing the barbed wire while they had just got down on the other side and, and I lost them in the mist. Like, they were, weren't even, they were closer to me than Ant and they were gone. And the wind was blowing so hard that I couldn't even shout out to them to like wait for me. So then I was on my own and, uh, with the, and, and this race doesn't have a, a trail. It's, you just have a GPS and you just sort of wallow around in the bushes really. Um, and then eventually I was like, well, shucks. I'm, then I just walked left or right for a little while and I ran into another group of people. And I was like, oh my goodness, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Brett, tell us about that race. Um, last year, uh, my family and I spent some time in the, in the States uh, um, for six months, and I, I got to run in this 100-mile race called the Wasatch Front in Utah. Um, this was, yeah, it was my longest run that, that I've been on my feet for, but it, the journey was extremely special, actually. I, I won't go into it, but the things that came out of that, um, the people we met that stepped in and looked, it looked, it was incredible. Like, Met guys like less, uh, arrived at race briefing, hoping to find a pacer to take you through the night, um, and the guy didn't arrive. <laughs> so I'd been communicating on Facebook for about six months, and this young guy sitting there, he was like, "In a dory, he'll he'll step in. Let me, he'll just phone his wife quickly, and he'll just check that it's okay because he's got a ski injury, but he thinks he can run. So he'll 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 pace me for 30 miles through the night." Um, and then he phoned a, a, another friend with a five-month-old baby. And he said, can you pace him for the next section? That was starting at like uh, half past two in the morning from a ski station in the mountains. And the, the guy was like, um, he's, he'll check with his wife because, you know, obviously I was a small baby. <laughs> um, but, but his wife said, how can you not step in and help this person? It, like, it was so special. I mean, the guy, like, he said, do you need a car? Uh, can my wife look after your kids? Because both my girls were there, obviously, and my wife and my sister. And they didn't know where we were staying in, in another town, which wasn't the start of the race. And it, it, just the, the whole thing around that was special. But this was really special. And that was like the highlight for me to be able to finish with, with my girls. It was really cool. This is the Loch Ness in Scotland. And Brett, he swam around that twice. I drove around it in a bus. And Brett swam around the Loch Ness. <laughs> but um, Brett, just with regards to this gift and a, a, a talent that God's given you, and you mentioned that you feel like you have a responsibility of being a good steward with that. Just share a bit about that. Um, I, don't, I don't think I'm particularly amazing at anything, to be honest. Um, but I feel like the Lord's definitely placed a, like a passion in me, like a love for, for those maybe wild things, I don't know, and, and, and so exploring that within myself is, um, I believe, is, is honoring that, 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 that he's put in me. Um, I remember when I was a kid, uh, like, I always, always wondered, like, how do you merge, like, faith and, and sport? I, I'm, I love sport, um, and I remember reading in the Sports Illustrated an interview with Corvus Vasaki, and he said um, that he really believed 100% that him giving 100% in training in every game that he had the opportunity to play in was worship, was his worship. And that really struck a chord with me, um, that it was just, that's, that's how I can, I can worship, by honoring the, the passion that the Lord has placed in me. Um, yeah. Fantastic. And then while I was chatting to Brett before, he shared a story with me of something amazing that happened with a swimming friend. And I've asked him if he could just share that also. Um, in 2011, I got to, I was a team leader, lucky enough to be a team leader on 
the World Student Games team to Shenzhen in China. Um, and so a team leader, I was coaching a little bit as well on that team, but mainly like your, your logistics, it's accreditation, it's liaising with the chef, it's getting people into the village, it's, it's all those kind of things. Um, and I actually didn't tell Ricky this story, but it's, it also it started, it started the snowball that happened on that trip for me. Um, so generally, a non-traveling coach, so a coach that's not chosen to be part of the team, you, you are allowed to, if you self-fund, you can, you can come on board and they will, the FISU and the LOC in the host country will, will provide you with technical accreditation to access a competition venue. And so uh, beforehand, I got contacted by three coaches from America that said their universities will pay for them. They had swimmers on the team, obviously. So they, they can, can I start this application process for them? And I was 100% confident this has always been done. So I sent them their stuff. They sent me passports and, and all that kind of stuff. And I arrived in China. We were there about a week before the meet started, and they hadn't arrived yet. And... I went to our chef who's processing all the accreditation and he says, listen, the Chinese, they're not willing to grant the technical accreditation to these coaches. Um, it, they believe that it's a liability. And I was like, I couldn't believe it because I'd now promised these guys they'd self-funded like thousands and thousands of dollars to be there. And uh, a representative, so FINA's the one to the FISU head. So, and then... Uh, the FINA representative, so FINA is the world governing body for swimming, and he, and he's, he provided a letter which I took, and I tried like everything, myself and the other team leader, and I remember thinking like the one day, so the one guy, the one coach had arrived early, we, we snuck him in through the village and into the venue on a visitor's pass, um, but by the time the competition starts, then they won't allow you on the transport or into the venue, and it would have been a, a wasted trip for them, so... I remember thinking distinctly, I was like, Lord, you know, like, I'm, I'm done here. We've exhausted our resources, and I can't think of another thing to try here. And I remember thinking, like, I don't know if that story of the, the missionary that smuggled the Bibles, I think, across the border in Eastern Europe. I think he was Dutch. But he opened his boots, and the border patrol comes to look, and his car is up to its eyeballs in Bibles. And they just like don't see it, and they say, "Oh, great, through you go," you know. So I remember thinking, "Lord, well, that's where I am now." <laughs> and uh, the next day, the other two coaches arrived, and they just walked in and up to the accreditation desk, and they processed them <laughs> like straight away, like but didn't just give them a technical pass. In the end, they ended up with full access to the village. They came and could sit in the eating halls. It was, like, it was hilarious. Uh, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. So, you know, the start of what the Lord was saying. Um, and, our, and then, so then we had a swimmer on the team from Stellenbosch, a really talented guy. Um, I mean, he was looking like he would definitely qualify for London. Um, but he was having some, after the Commonwealth Games in Delhi, he was really struggling with his health. And he, they just come, a group of the swimmers came from Shanghai, from the World Championships. And uh, he had really struggled um, and I remember my boss like phoning me, well not phoning me, he was mailing me and he was like, you've got to check this, you've got to check that, but he's really, he's, he's not on, like it's, it's damage control, um, you know, so look for this, let's do that and if this happens maybe, and he said to me, maybe you must just take him out of like some of the other events and we try and get an Olympic cut in, in, one, in the 400 freestyle. So, you know, I sort of went to, went to this, this guy here and um, and, and I said to him, this is, what, this is what Pierre thinks. And he was like, because he, he his first event was the 800 freestyle. And he says, no, he's, he's gonna, he'll swim. And I'm like, oh, gosh. Because the 800 freestyle obviously is not an Olympic event until now, what will be in Tokyo. But, um, so you know, he says, no, he wants to swim. But he, amazing guy, amazing Christian guy. I remember he wrote Jesus on both his palms. And he goes... And, I mean, like, his mom is emailing me from South Africa and, and you know, what I think. And we talk, and I'm like, sure, but, like, I really, like, I don't know how to tell you, but, I, like, it feels like something interesting will happen. And I can't tell you what. And then, like, when, when nothing added up, this kid dives in, and he just misses us three weeks before, and he swam a lot far. 
Um, I mean, he came from Shanghai, which was about three weeks before, and he swam a lot faster. He missed. A, he didn't. Mean, he came fourth by one one hundredth of a second. But I mean, it was a, the whole experience of that, and then that swim. Like I just felt the Lord say, sometimes nothing adds up. Sometimes everything you've tried, you know, all logical things that you've tried, um, you know, though, you know, like you've done that, but. Sometimes like, I'll just go right beyond that, you know, and I'll show you that I can do stuff way outside like what you can um, conceive. And I just remember being so blown away by that whole thing. Like, like really, the Lord just going, I can do, when, when you don't think it's going to go, I can do something extraordinary when nothing adds up. And I, yeah, it was such a special takeaway for me. And you said he knocked off how many seconds of his time? I must admit, after saying, uh, I, I went and checked the results. <laughs> In the end, I think he was six seconds faster. Yeah. Um, but but it's it, it was amazing. significant that the turnaround was about 10 days, and it should never have been. Yeah. And that was the only swim that his uh, other swims didn't go well. Yeah. But it, he had faith for this thing, and yeah. it, was, it was really special. Fantastic. Like I was just like, I went down to, I walked off the stand, and I was like, hidden. And he was like, it was just like it was incredible, yeah. Awesome. It was incredible. Great. Thank you, Brett. Good job. Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Potgieter. So our final talking point is on friends. And when I was... Uh, chatting to Mish, and I was just saying, please help me think through who we could uh, ask to chat. Who she, without me even mentioning a name, she said, "What about the Potgieters? We can definitely uh, chat to them here." But Fred and Chantel have been part of the furniture, not just here in Somerset West, but also in Every Nation London. Uh, they were part of the the church there, and I've asked them just to share a bit about how the Holy Spirit has played. A role in their friendships. But yeah, um, just wanted to ask you guys, first of all, what role do friends play in your life? And um, just the importance of friendships. Sure. I think for me, it's an essential part of my life to, to have friends, um, to have people that you can um, relate to people that you can communicate to, but also to have a safe place. Um, and friends to, our, to us are a very safe place, um, yeah, and to do life with. Um, so we, we are blessed with incredible, talented people. If I just look at that, um, teacher, cardiologist, um, doctor, and that was our first 21-kilometer race, Brett. <laughs> 21 k's or miles? <laughs> um, the, the SAD this year. Um, but it's just doing life with them. Um, and, yeah, they're really special. Um, very much, of course, in agreement. I think it's very important. I just remember at primary school, and we had a play, and one of the phrases of this play was... Uh, Nobody can be an island in a sea of people. Mm, and I mean, from back then and just having experience and doing life, yeah. how can you not have friends? Awesome. <laughs> and then my next question to you guys is just having experienced the Holy Spirit work through your lives and in your lives, um, how did you, and, and I mentioned to you just specifically the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and how have you experienced that in not only having friends but being friends? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think, uh, once again, you know, I don't see how you can, you know, being a Christian and, and you, I have the privilege of being in a business where people come through my door and I have to engage, um, in, at whatever mood they are in, because <laughs> I'm delivering a service, so I've got a, um, I'm a dentist by profession, so one of my lecturers at dental school, you know, he used to, a uh, wonderful older Jewish guy used to come put his arm around me and he would say to me, Poddy, 
don't forget the verbal anesthesia. <laughs> so, and that is so true, you know, so much of what I do is trying to make people comfortable and, and you've got you, you've to engage. Um, and it can sometimes be, you know, very, very challenging. Uh, as we were talking and then just praying and thinking about this, you know, and we were just thinking of, you know, being friends and what it is, you know, to be a friend. And I think we agreed here, first of all, one has got to be available to be a friend. And then the second thing that we were talking about is it takes investment. And when I'm talking about investment, you know, God uh, keeps us responsible. He wants us to be good stewards of our time, our talents, and our treasures. And, I mean, that's what happens when you, when you commit, when you want to be a friend and build a friendship, you're going to have to invest your time. Carl was talking here about time. Carl, is weak. when we started our business and it wasn't doing so well, Carl took off time and he came, where is he now, sitting here? Awesome. And how many times he came to us in the, in the reception area, he was praying with us sure. as a friend. Um, so your time, your talents, um, Brad was now talking about using your talents and, and, and Dennis. And then unfortunately, what some people also don't get is treasure. Hmm. It's it, it investment, financial investment in your, in your, yeah. in your friendships. Um, and then of course, I think the third thing that we you know, 100% agree on is listening. <laughs> um, not just blah, 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 talking. That's why God has given us two ears and one mouth. Um, and I mean, we can share, you know, we, for example, in our, uh, in our business, when Shane was still working with me, um, there was one particular gentleman that I think it was a time in the church where we had this uh, put on the names for people that we trust in God for salvation. And there was one particular gentleman uh, in our business that um, was a challenge. <laughs> uh, but we identified, you know, this is the person that we want to uh, wanna pray for, you know, and trust God, you know, to work in his life. And he was, I'm just going to call him Patrick because he was of Irish descent. I don't want to say his, <laughs> his full name. But he was, he was challenging, I think, on three levels for me. One, once of all, the age. He was, of, he was in his 70 plus. Um, second of all, um, his treatment needs, what I had to do was quite challenging, and his anatomy was not, you know, of the mouth, a difficult, difficult case, you know, to get things right. And then thirdly, he was openly confessing that he was an atheist. Um, and not that I was... Heavily intimidated by that, but being a professional, when you engage people, you gotta, and being a Christian, you gotta be really sensitive to the Holy Spirit, how you engage, that you don't Bible bash people and alienate, you know, the patient um, or the client. So he was, he was quite, quite a challenge uh, for us. Um, I'm just gonna call him Patrick because he was of Irish descent. He was quite a big guy, huge guy, and. I mean, we, 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 we felt, you know, that this is the, the guy that's his name we must put on and, and, and pray for. And we decided, you know, we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to, to spend time with him. Because to us, that is what is reaching out to other people is building friendships. It's not Bible bashing. <laughs> it's, it's how you can drive people away. And, and we, we really took our time. And I mean, because of the difficulty of the case, he used to be in every so often, and when I had difficulties getting things right, I mean, he would joke and say, you know, he's coming down with his baseball bat and he's going to bash both my knees, and <laughs> he was joking and, you know, horsing around like that, <laughs> joking and horsing around. Yes, and then, <laughs> it's, it's, we've, we've walked with him for a few years, he's actually passed on, he passed away last year. But before that, he invited us um, as a couple to have uh, supper with, with him and his wife. Um, and on two occasions, he, he wanted to pay. He, he couldn't understand why we're doing what we're doing. Why are we taking time out to be with him? Right. But there was such a great hunger yeah. 
And you know, it's a strange thing when a 70, uh, almost 80 year old elder um, asks you questions about life. To me, that is just, it's not because you've lived the life and I should learn from you. But this man had a great desire and a hunger for, for, for something else. And I think when we took the time out and just decided to love him, and above everything, love is the most important thing. Um, he, he passed on. Um, his wife still comes. We love her. Um, and you know, not being part of the spiritual family, the believers, we as children of God needs to love on other people. Um, and, and that's most important. Thank you. Uh, just about us building a friendship, you know, being a professional and our son, when uh, this guy, when he heard this couple is taking it out for a second time, um, my son, they ask us, what kind of dentist are you that your patients are taking you out? <laughs> awesome. But this couple have got an incredible grace on their lives just to build relationship in that. So thank you for sharing uh, this morning. And um, thank you for just offering your time a bit longer this morning. We did feel we wanted to uh, just give the opportunity for everyone to, to share their stories. And I just, this is such a great moment just to wrap up our Advantage series. And um, there were so many people who could have shared this morning, but really thank those of you who have shared and, and shared your hearts with us. I want to end this morning by reading a quote from Bishop Simpson. And he talks about the church engaged in the renovation of the world. Listen to what it says. The church must grope her way into the alleys and courts and surroundings of the city and up the broken staircase and into the bar room and beside the loathsome sufferer. She must go down into the pit with the miner, into the forecastle with the sailor, into the tent with the soldier, into the shop with the mechanic into the factory with the operative, into the field with the farmer, into the counting room with the merchant. Like the air, the church must press equally on all surfaces of society. Like the sea, flow into every nook of the shoreline of humanity. And like the sun, shine on things foul and low, as well as fair and high. For she was organized, commissioned, and equipped for the moral renovation of the world. And that's what we believe as a church, to know him and to make him known.